Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we have encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world. Today, we continue our conversation with Stephen Parry on changing the way you change. If you missed our previous episodes, we suggest you listen to them first. And now, a little bit of information about Stephen. He is the founder and senior partner at the Sense and Adapt Academy. They help create lean and agile enterprises through long-term, high-performing change teams that focus on customer centricity while building appealing work environments and culture. He is the author of Sense and Respond, The Journey to Customer Purpose, and is recognized as a world-class expert and multi-award winning transformation leader Let's all welcome Stephen Perry to our Agile Tales. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for being in another episode of our Agile Tales. We'll continue our chat about changing the way we change. Here's another question from one of our listeners. They would like to know, actually, has Cunevin been an inspiration in your work? Uh, short answer is no. I stayed away from it deliberately. Some of the wording is very similar, particularly the sense and respond, sense and adapt. What I've read about it, it's a great system. I see its purpose, and I'm quite willing to be educated on this because I deliberately stayed away, and I'll tell you why in a minute, is it's really at understanding what's the best way to approach a problem. And it's very good at really understanding the nature of the problem, the dynamics of the problem itself. What I was looking at was the dynamics of the organization. Three in particular, what I call the system mechanics. These are things like the reward and recognition system, the governance system. These are things that create the systemic infrastructure. Then you have the people dynamics is how people interact with that. And there's another dimension called the business pursuit. And why is that important? Because the system mechanics, which means all the organizational infrastructure for keeping things going, reward recognition. So it's all in one bucket and they can be changed through policy. How people react to that will be once the policies change, you know, or if I'm hiding because it's not safe to, that's the human dynamics. But the thing that really creates the triangle here is what business pursuit? And we are right back to the question at the beginning of this, which is, what is our business pursuit? To differentiate, not commoditize. All right? Because that will make you think about the system mechanics that would need to change, that gets willing contribution from the people so that they can give willing contribution and step up into work that they didn't do before. But what's driving that is that bigger strategy and some of the measurement that supports it, which now becomes the business pursuit. If the business pursuit was to be the cheapest and fastest with the highest volume but low margin, that's fine. You would design the mechanics and the dynamics to work in there to meet that pursuit. What I was looking for, it's a different business pursuit. So how do we change those? So the teams I was working with said, this is now the business pursuit. What is now getting in the way of that? And this is a much simpler way of talking about different levels of the organization. But there's another added component to that, which is we are looking at the system mechanics and the people dynamics First of all, on my competitive strategy, four layers to this, then my structures, then my capabilities, 
which are skills? Do I have the wherewithal to do it? Can I deliver it? And then what is the type of value we want to flow to the customer? So there are a couple of things that are locking together. So we look at it at those different levels because you have managers working at those different levels. I see people teaching agile, lean to, and they, they tend to do the same thing for all those different layers of management. Like somebody who is, is responsible for marketing and competitive strategy and look, looking at the governance structures. They don't need to know that. They need to know if I'm being an adaptive manager instead of a traditional manager in one of those layers, how do I change my job to work in that so it matches up in a much better way? So we harmonize between these three zones, which is the system, mechanics, people dynamics, and the business pursuit lineup. And the good thing is what I teach people to do, and I only did this in a recent client, and I was so against it so against it and I was so glad I did it afterwards because I was proven wrong was one of the senior managers said to me how do I know we are changing these system mechanics da, da, da? because there's a lot of stuff going on and how do we know and I said well you're having meetings aren't you well why don't I create an observation tool that I can teach to some of you even the team that I'm developing and they can observe are they working on the right system mechanics are they understanding the right people dynamics and are they coming the right way and is it the right pursuit or in their conversations are they going back to the old world and we had that system and it took a bit of working out but we could view meetings and then give feedback to the meetings and said you were trying this solve this problem but actually you defaulted to the old way of working when you knew there was a different way and you didn't do that and they go oh gosh we did and there is written. And it was just a beautiful intellectual, from my point of view, nice piece of work. But it worked. I didn't like it because it was subjective. But we can work out some observations and then create a system and say, well, what are we observing? Where is it? What's the range? So then we would have alignment calls with the observers and the observed, we had observers observing the same meeting and then going out and then comparing this. In the early days, they were nowhere near, but very soon they started to align up because their thinking was aligning up of what was good for the business pursuit, what were the right people dynamics and the right system mechanics. I know you mentioned it last time, but for those of us who are eager to try, is this a way to get started in an organization to make it more adaptive or are there other ways? Where would you recommend people start? I am talking about a really big transformation there that happened rapidly. I was given by far the best people. Well, I don't know if they're the best, but they were very capable. And having taken them through the first part of that process, they were completely dissatisfied and understood why they couldn't get things right. So they were liberated. So you've got a liberated team and you can do a lot more with a liberated team. And that's why when I'm doing this work, I tend to want to start with the people who are responsible for changing and improving the business. And then those guys adopt this way of working in their heads, the theory behind that, how they do that and how they observe. And then they help other people adopt that. So it's now adoption of some of this thinking and people holding their hands. So there's the adoption by what I created within this team, what I call the change agent. It was changing from an industrial model to a highly adaptive model. And they know how to talk about it now. And they could talk confidently because they've already persuaded the senior management to go down this route. 
So now they had to talk to other managers and adopt some of this thinking. Not, not the detail at this point, but then there are what I call the leaders who are the change makers. These are the people who know the political system within the organization. They know who they need to influence, which is very different to sitting down and doing a stakeholder analysis because there were enough people in this team to say he will support that they will, because they now got a different lens. And they said, no, he's going to have trouble. All right. And then they go away and have some questions. Come, yeah, he's in that zone. So they're looking for people that they could influence. So now we're moving into the change. We're not making any change on the ground. I am talking about a large scale change. In a small scale change, I wouldn't do it this way. So this gives you an idea. The engaging team, they're engaging at a leadership level at all levels, not just at the top. But they are leading this, they're creating, they're helping set up for some of the people to act as change agents. So they create the change community, because what I'm doing is I'm transferring my knowledge directly to them. Because in an adaptive organization, they need know how to build it, maintain it and keep changing it. You learn that off the bat, day one. All right. So part of that change maker, I then have another group of people called the adaptive business manager. And so if you're a manager in an everyday job and you're changing the system mechanics and trying to generate different dynamics with a different pursuit, they've got to know what does that mean for my day job? Where do I now pay attention? For my attention is somewhere else. How do I appraise my staff? What do I now encourage? So there is for first line managers, we tell them how to manage this changed business. And then as a senior manager, how to build capabilities to deliver more to the customer and to differentiate. And then for the people that do the structures, it may be HR, finance, and all the governance, what they need to do to then capitalize on this. And then who is in responsible for the marketing and how are they going to position how we're going to compete differently? And there are different messages for those. So the management very often are left out of major transformations done elsewhere. We teach a lot of individuals, but we never teach the manager that is no longer driving a car. He's trying to fly a helicopter and he's getting frustrated because he's taxiing up and down a runway trying to pick up speed to go to the next town. Okay. And he's not fixing tires anymore. How do I reward people? How do I give appraisals? So that's in a big organization because we are creating change ability within this team. So in a smaller team, even within a small team of, say, 20 or 30 people, you can use some of the techniques I talked about in the seminar, common purpose, measures, matrix, and those sorts of things. So even if you're having a team reorganization, just go and do that. Now, you're changing the measurement system of what you're paying attention to. But this is the paradox. You are changing it to outcomes for customers, gaining willing contribution and ingenuity from your staff to solve that problem. But you are trying to solve the customer's problem. But if you do that correctly, the other measures which look at productivity and all of those actually improve in the right direction. But you have to be careful in your communication to say, in this new way of working, some of the measurements are going in the opposite direction, which is goodness, because locking them in is stopping us. So that's a conversation. This is a very different approach, and I like how everyone involved in the change is a willing participant and a willing contributor. Yes, 
the operating model is an emergent property of doing the work. It is not a preordained design. The principles about how it operates are now sense and adapt principles, but it is about how you design, build, transform and operate an organization and continually do it. And there are lots of methods that claim to do that, and I'm sure they do get some success. But as I say, I am in the business of teaching people, particularly creating high-performance change teams, on how to do it themselves. That is the difference. This is definitely a very different way of looking at things. It changes the way I now think about maybe how to do agile transformations. It has big implications for Agile. One of the things with Agile is very often seen as a workplace or team transformation. However, the goals need to be looked at. And I know you do it iterative, but you are doing it locally and it sticks in the improvement domain. You might bring out new features. I'm writing an article at the moment. I will give you a preview of this article. The article is trying to explain the difference between agility and adaptiveness. And I'm not putting down agility, but the way it's mostly interpreted is within the team, Scrum Master. But each of them have defined roles. They're not that interchangeable. So they've embedded an assumed hierarchy, usually to meet the measurements that I describe in an industrial model. So you then get agile, making an industrial model go faster. And guess what it does? But it doesn't translate to agility at the business level because that's a completely different job. And trying to teach agility to the top when you don't even understand what their job is, you're not going to be listened to very much. You have to learn business language. And this is why I said, go and, go and talk as if you're talking to dolphins. I would be a dolphin. Oh my goodness, I have been saying that for years. I'm so glad to hear that. And thank you for giving us a preview of the book. Let me just say what that is, just to tease you a little bit. The article is called, you know, there is a difference between agility and adaptiveness, the way it's practiced today. I would like to see agile come up to adaptiveness. It really can do that. But it needs, you know, for people who are saying there needs to be a mind shift, there needs to be a mind shift with the Agile people as well as a skill shift. And that's not their fault. Absolutely not their fault. So the article is called The Lion, the Gazelle and the Wardrobe. It's a sort of a Narnia theme, a play on that. I talk about why it's the gazelle and, you know, how the gazelle avoids the predators. And it's the way that they can change direction really quick. But at the end of it, it is an Agile animal. It can only improve over evolutionary time. You don't see gazelles in the middle of the savannah after just evading a tiger attack or a, a lion attack, getting their whiteboards out and their flip charts and discussing how they can eliminate the lion ever being there and how can we take ourselves off the menu. Now, if they did that, that would be an adaptive gazelle. Because if changing into a wardrobe is what you need so that you're not the lion's meat, that's exactly what you should turn yourself into. Now, the stupidity of that raises what I'm talking about, is you have to transform to get out of your current competitors into differentiation. Remember, transform means going beyond your current form. 
in the ridiculousness of a gazelle becoming a wardrobe because that's exactly what you need to be to take yourself off the menu so that the lions starve. Wow. <laughs> well, listeners, I am eagerly awaiting this book to come out and I hope that you all are too because I will be the first in line. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> the lion, the gazelle and the wardrobe. But if there's anybody who wants me to present to their teams, I'm more than happy to come and speak to the management teams about different ways of doing it, because we have to start talking about it. Most people don't know there's a different way. They gravitate to the big ticket change systems. I won a contract for that big telco, and I was up against one of the big four. And I won it, and there were two people in my organization. And if you want to know who they are, you can look at the, the recommendations list on my profile on LinkedIn. Read those. You'll see the difference of what the customers are saying. I'm not doing this as a plug, although I could do with the work. We can. But that's not the problem. The reason I do this is because it releases the potential of the people in the organization. And that realizes the benefits even in society, by having work that isn't moved to a low-cost labor economy. And by the way, they are fighting you to the top of the value, not to the bottom. So they're going to come a time, if we're going to do this and change this world for the better, we have to start thinking about how we design work for our employees and how we create more value for customers so we can stay in business. Contact me on LinkedIn. Have a look around my website, www.senseandadaptacademy.com. Stephen, thank you so very much for talking to us today and educating us on changing the way we change. Wow, we cannot thank you enough. Yes, thank you again, Stephen. I want to thank the people who put their questions in. Please take a look at my LinkedIn group page called Adaptive Business and Cultures. I also have my new YouTube channel called Adaptive Business, where I'm posting a lot of these issues and ideas. So I get feedback because I'm continually learning. We all are. Brilliant. Thank you so very much. That concludes our series with Stephen Perry on changing the way you change. Join us on the next Our Agile Tales journey with Dr. Nick Horney, who will be talking to us about VUCA Masters, developing leadership agility for the new world of work. Feel free to reach out to us on our agiletales.com.